that your fast may not be seen by others, but your Father who is in secret. Now listen to Jesus' closing words here. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. He will reward you. That means we have something good coming our way. If we embody the right type of humiliation in our approach to fast. In other words, we're not consumed with other people trying to see how righteous we are or how great we are or how super spiritual we are. If we follow to this kind of prescription, we see that Jesus offers a reward. There's a reward. It's not my words, it's Christ's words. I like it. I like to know that at the end of something that I don't like to do in the first place, there might be some kind of reward that I get to gain from the Lord. It's awesome to me. Now, I've often said that when I fast, it's for a reason. I touched upon this. It's unto something. I'm not going to fast just to do it. I love food. I'm sorry. I'm not ashamed to say that when I'm fasting, I'm looking for the reward that Jesus mentions in Matthew. But again, like I mentioned excuse me, last Sunday, this takes an immense amount of humility. And I know the two can often, you know, even hearing me, it's like, okay, reward, you're looking for reward, but yet you're talking about humility. You know, Jesus wasn't necessarily attacking people who were fasting and desired to fast. He was attacking really the approach they took of wanting to be seen by others. It was really just a case of like, look how religious I am. Look how holy I am. Jesus was attacking that. You know, many people in the church, I don't know, I've been around some time and I've heard some different interesting stories when it comes to this topic. Many times people will use as an excuse Jesus' kind of confrontation with these hypocrites, with these Pharisees, and in order not to fast. You know, let's take, for instance, where Jesus said, hey, you know, uh, he was confronted by the disciples of uh, John the Baptist, right? And they said, hey, you know, John's disciples fast. Why don't yours? And, you know, what's going on? You guys are like feasting. And Jesus brings up the issue of like, hey, listen, the bridegroom's with him. I'm, I'm here. Why fast? Let's celebrate. Let's party. And they kind of take that as like some kind of license not to engage in fasting. But all through the Bible, that is absolutely what we see as like the barometer of, of going after God. We see men and women who, who would give themselves to fasting and prayer. And they use that excuse. It's like, listen, you know, Jesus said, why, why are you going to fast? But, you know, Jesus said something at the end of that statement, didn't he? He said, but when the bridegroom is gone, don't worry. <laughs> when I'm taken away, they'll fast. They'll mourn. And so, it's not really necessarily a good excuse. Now, if you would, turn with me to Ezra, chapter 8. Ezra, chapter 8. We're going to go to the Old Testament. Love the Old Testament. Come on, somebody. Is everybody here today? Ezra, chapter 8. Now, before we go into Ezra, chapter 8, we want to point out that Ezra was, in chapter 7, commissioned by the Lord... Ultimately, by this king, I'm not even going to pronounce his name because I'll butcher it, but he was anointed, he was commissioned by this king, essentially, to do four tasks. Uh, one of which was to lead the exiles of Israel um, back to Jerusalem from Babylon. Okay, Now, this was persuaded by Ezra himself to the king. In chapter 7, uh, you see the language of the hand of the Lord, this is what it says, rested heavily upon Ezra. And the favor of God rested heavily upon Ezra. So Ezra actually went to the king and said, you know what, king? I think it's a good idea if we go to Babylon, 
bring our homies from Israel back to Jerusalem. What do you think? And because of the Lord's favor, the king was like, sure, let's do it. So it went on, as the story goes, as I'm uh, paraphrasing, that the king actually wrote a letter. He wrote a letter because Ezra is about to embark on a real long journey. And he wrote a letter for Ezra so that Ezra could present it to other kings and other uh, people that he faced, uh, or he encountered, excuse me, uh, and even the exiles. It was all who were willing, essentially, all who wanted to go back to Israel could. And so we see that the hand of the Lord was upon Ezra. If we could, let's just fast forward to Ezra 8.21. Now here, if I can paint the scene, there's a lot of people right now traveling with Ezra. He's already has um, gone to Babylon, got this big group of people to travel back to Israel. They're traveling with women, children, young. They're also traveling with a lot of dough, a lot of silver, gold, a lot of baggage, okay? They're kind of uh, got a bullseye on their back, if you would, um, of any kind of rogue groups or people who might want to, you know, rob, kill, destroy, take from, rape their wives, steal their children, whatever, enslave them again. It's a real deal. Ezra, Ezra knows this so much to the fact that he, he disregards the king's um, kind of recommendation to send an escorted guard with Ezra. You know, you know, the king's like smart man. He's like, hey, listen, Ezra, love this, love your zeal. Yeah, I, I sense the favor of the Lord's on you. But listen, I think you might want to take some of my guards with you. And Ezra's like, you know what? The hand of God's on us. We're going to go for it. All who worship the Lord will be protected by the Lord, essentially, was Ezra's heart in the matter. And so Ezra is about with 440 other people by this river, and he's getting nervous. Okay, let's look, for instance, this is some of the, I don't know what this would amount to, but let's look in verse 27. It says, this is some of the, um, the finances that they're, they're carrying with them. It says 24 tons of silver. I don't know what that is, but, you know, I know silver, but you know, 24 tons, it must be a lot. 75,000 uh, pounds, I'm sorry, 7,500 pounds of silver articles. Sounds pretty cool. I wouldn't mind having that. 7,500 pounds of gold. That sounds really good. 20 gold bowls equal to the value to a thousand gold coins, two fine articles of polished bronze and uh, precious gold, excuse me. And so Ezra's packing, he's got a lot of bounty with him. He's nervous by this river. He's got 440 other people with him. He's like, oh my goodness, look, we have a bullseye on our back. And so the story goes on here in 821. And they were by the Ava Canal, gave orders, this I being Ezra, for all of us to fast and humble ourselves before our God. The order was, now listen, he gives an order. He's nervous. He's kind of concerned about these people. Himself too. And right there he orders a fast. He, and you understand that it's followed by, or it's uh, it kind of is summed up by, they humbled themselves before God. goes on to say, we prayed that he would give us uh, a safe journey and protect us, our children and our goods as we traveled. For I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to accompany us and to protect us from the enemies along the way. After all, we had told the king our God 
God's hand of protection is on all who worship him. But his fear, anger rages against those who abandoned him. So here is Ezra. He's like, listen, we have to do something. We got to do something. I'm a little nervous. I got the children playing out in the yard. You know, we're, we're kind of got a bullseye on our back for any, any rogue groups, any kind of uh, people that might want to encamp upon us or take us over or whatever, steal our gold. What are we going to do? I know what to do. Okay. We're going to humble ourselves. We're going to fast and pray. Now, Ezra's fasting and prayer here was for a specific reason. What was that reason? Well, you know, he desired to be protected and guided by the Lord. And so right here in Ezra chapter 8, right, we see a story where the um, fasting of Ezra in this group, this tribe of people, was intentional. It was unto a specific reason. So for me, I believe here that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Those aren't actually my words. Those are Paul's words. Paul's words. So I believe that if God did it then, he'll do it now. That if we don't just fast because we think it might be a good idea or um, that we might, um, you know, if we are to obtain some kind of a reward, then okay, God, that would be great. But that we can fast with specific reasons, being intentional in our fast. Maybe it's protection. Maybe it's it's guidance, whatever it is. But in this fast, as we go to embark in March 1st on this fast, let's go as a community with specific reasons, specific prayers, specific reasons on why we're fasting. Come on. When there is like something that is specific, it makes uh, prayer and fasting a lot more better than just going into it blindly. I mean, it's good to kind of once and now, I'm sorry, every once in a while, throw your sails up and let the Holy Spirit lead you. But we're talking about 40 days, people. Let's wrap some specific prayer mandates around this fast and just leave the results up to the, uh, up to the Lord. Let's leave the results up to the Lord, much like Ezra did. And you see in verse 31 that actually Ezra attributes this time of fasting and prayer to what actually kept them safe, what actually guided them to Israel. So we see here in Ezra an example of the power of prayer and fasting. Let's turn one more to Second Chronicles. Now, we're going to track through this pretty fast. Like, I, I'm sorry to say this. It feels like almost every Sunday lately I'm saying that we're going to track through it fast. But I know the snow is supposed to kick up around the 12 o'clock hour. So I don't want anybody driving. I personally have a long ride home. Uh, so I don't want to keep you guys longer and have you have to trek home and a lot of snow. But let's look at another portion of Scripture where actually fasting was intentional. Here it is, Jehoshaphat, right? Many of you probably know this story. Jehoshaphat is... Just now caught word here that the Moabites or the, the Moabites and the Ammonites are going to come down and essentially crush Jehoshaphat in Jerusalem and Judah. They're, they're, they're a big, malicious army, okay? They are not dudes that you want to mess with. mess with. Their reputation follows them. And wherever they are about to strike, fear strikes to land. And essentially, this is what happened uh, to Jehoshaphat. He was filled with fear, fear Excuse me, at the word of these armies coming to take over his land. 
And in chapter 2 and 3 and 4, we see Jehoshaphat was terrified, this is verse 3, by the news and begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. Again, we see two areas of which the Lord provided help and guidance, okay? Help and guidance. Old Testament, we can see this kind of fleshed out. So the people are fearful. They're, the rumor mill is off the hook. It, the word is spreading that this, these armies are coming. Jehoshaphat goes into the only thing he knows how to do. Why do we know that? Because actually in this town meeting in verse 12, this is what he says. I love this. Our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. Now listen to the words of Jehoshaphat's prayer. We do not know what to do. <laughs> how many of you feel like that today? You just have situations of which I do not know what to do. I got, a, I got about three or four of them, you know, where, where I just, in my own thoughts, in my own charisma, in my own kind of like, oh, we got to make something happen, we got to make something happen, I just do not want to know what to do, and I feel a bit powerless. Here is Jehoshaphat, and he is pretty much just uh, saying and kind of echoing my own heart and my own position even today. He says, we don't know what to do, but we are looking for your help. Again, he wasn't just praying. He mingled, if you would, fasting. He actually called all of the city to a fast. Can you imagine that today? If, if, if some kind of prominent leader in uh, church culture in Cambridge called a fast today for the whole Cambridge to come in and pray and fast and seek God. What a remarkable thing that would be. But here's the king, nervous, fearful, doesn't know what to do. He calls the city to a fast. It goes uh, even to the outer skirts of other towns and regions that everybody starts traveling in and they pray and fast. And you know what? At the end of this story, God gave them a great victory. So much to the point that they didn't even have to do anything to gain it. They simply just went out to worship the Lord and that army started killing each other. I don't know how it works. It's the Bible. I mean, whatever. I mean, it's full of stories. You're just like, really? Yes. They started killing each other. It was effortless. Uh, for the uh, uh, Jerusalem and Judah. They didn't have to do a thing but worship God. But what's important to note here is that when they were confused, when they didn't know what to do, they went to the Lord. It said that Jehoshaphat um, set his face to seek the Lord. Man, we just, we need some like Old Testament like posture of our hearts, really. I mean, you know, one day I was, I was just a side story, I was, I was praying, really frustrated. I said, Lord, where is your power in the days of old, like it was in the book of Exodus, or it was even in the book of Acts? And the Lord so kindly, he just spoke to me, he said, you know what, Daryl, have you ever considered the sacrifice of these Old Testament guys, of these guys in the New Testament? Have you ever thought about the price that they paid? And I'm like, ooh. 
And, and I, I can't remember the very words, but it, was, he was, it, felt like he was, it felt like, if I remember right, he said, Old Testament power takes Old Testament sacrifice. And I was like, I mean, and we're so, as a church, trying to do away with the Old Testament. We are no longer to live by the law. I get it. No, we're under grace. We're under mercy. But, man, I would long to see even the book of Acts in our midst. You know, it's not like fasting stopped in the Old Testament, friend. You know, Paul and Barnabas, they would the Lord just to get direction for what missions trip they should go on. Yeah, that was how it was important. That was that's how important it was to them. Uh, two times in the Book of Acts, one to establish a leader, they went to the Lord. I mean, you know, in the church, you just you look for the most uh, you know brilliant uh, mind and guy or gal to put in the right place of church leadership. Well, Paul and Barnabas, they wrapped fasting and prayer around every decision ultimately that they made. And we saw essentially Jesus' words ring very true. That when the bridegroom was taken away, they fasted regularly. You know, I don't want to just be a person that kind of, you know, picks up like a 40-day stent here and a 40-day stent there. I want to live a fasted lifestyle. Wasn't it the girl, Anna, who actually um, lived a fasted lifestyle essentially for her whole life? And you know what most theologians believe that she fasted for? Essentially, the coming of the Messiah. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine that? I mean, just wrap your mind around it. This girl not only lived a lifestyle of dedicated fasting, but she was in the house of God, continually praying also. Yeah. And, 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 you know, some of us, we can't even kind of manage one day a week for two hours to go to the house of God and pray. There's something immensely wrong with that, friend. In light of the scripture, our hearts should be sober and we should go to the Lord. We should go to him in this season of uh, 40 days that we have from March 1st to April 9th. We should set our face to seek the Lord, not just to pray, but we should wrap fasting right around it. Amen. Come on. I'm looking for a reward. I'm looking for the reward that Jesus mentioned in Matthew 6. I don't want to just do it to do it. I want to do it for a specific reason, to see the hand of God move with power in my city, in my family, in my church, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And that's my heart for us as a community. I don't want just five of us going to the house of prayer, five of us dedicated to the fast. I want us to make a commitment uh, to God, to make a commitment to each other, to go full steam after this thing. It's no fun when just one guy is going after it. You're not encouraged. You're not seeing your homies pay the price. You're, not, you're, not, you're just not encouraged. It's like, dude, you're eating a steak. You know, that's notorious. You know, it's all, and they're always picking the good food when you're fasting too. It's like, it's, I mean, Will is just, he is, he's like Mr. Uh, I don't know, Barber Dish Kadu, the guy on uh, uh, Sesame Street, I think it was. You ever heard of Barber Dish Kadu? No? Well, anyways. Anyways, I mean, I'll be fasting and this guy, I'll go over to his house and he always is cooking the greatest stuff while I'm fasting. He's like, dude, you want some? And it's just, it's tormenting. But what I want to say more so is that we encourage ourselves when we're all on the fast. It's not like somebody's cooking a steak. It's like everybody's in this thing. We're going after it. We have a specific goal in mind and we're looking for the reward. In humility. Now, 
Let me just find myself in my notes. Is everybody all right? One more story here in the book of Jonah. In the book of Jonah, I know I'm going really Old Testament. Yadaba. 7.46, if you're in the NLT. <laughs> One person got that. Come on. Page 7. Now we all know the story of Nineveh, right? In chapter 3. Um, the Nineveh, Nineveh responds to the Lord um, through the prophet Jonah's prophecy of destruction. Nineveh would heed that word. And they goes on to say that they would fast and pray earnestly for the Lord's mercy. Let's read verses 5 and 10 of verse 3. The people of Nineveh believed God's message and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king, now this is another king, this is awesome to be like our president, you know, hearing the word of the Lord and like wrapping himself in burlap and fasting. That's crazy. Jesus. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne. That's, that's an action of humility. The king steps down from his throne and took off his robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent a decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Now listen to this language. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. It says in verse 10, when God saw what they had done, they had put a stop to their evil ways. He changed his mind, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened them with. So here we see much like the response, although different when it comes to repentance. Nineveh, instead of being prideful, they humble themselves and they heed the word of the prophet Jonah. They don't just heed it, but they decide to call all of Nineveh to fasting and praying, wrapping themselves in burlap. And the king sitting on ashes, that must have been very uncomfortable. Now, the very, a, a very interesting thing that I stumbled across in kind of looking at those scriptures actually found in Matthew 12, 41. I know that we're bouncing around. Just go with me. Bounce around. Matthew 12. Is everybody all right? Yeah. Okay. Matthew 12. Just wrap some New Testament around it. Here it is, Jesus in verse 41. He's verse 41, it says this. The people of Nineveh, this is Jesus, will stand up against this generation on judgment day and condemn it. For they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now 
now someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. Now, I want to kind of just extract one thing from this passage. Um, essentially, Jesus said the people of Nineveh would stand up against that generation on Judgment Day, right, and condemn it. Jesus noted that Nineveh um, would repent and turn from their evil ways, but yet a prophet greater than Jonah was among them, right? Jesus was among them. He wanted, Christ wanted, the same response, hear me now, but didn't get it out of that generation. In other words, Jesus would use Nineveh as an example of what should have been the response of his generation. One of repentance, one of prayer, one of fasting, right? Because essentially that was the outcome of Nineveh's response to the word of the Lord. Now Jesus uses it as an example and he says, listen, I wanted this generation's response to be that of Nineveh's response to the Lord. But yet I stand before you a greater man, prophet, than Jonah. And yet you don't repent. You don't fast. Jesus' message was what? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now this is not so much about repentance, but this was the posture, really, of Nineveh. That's the way I take Jesus' statement here. This was the posture uh, to read the response of Nineveh to the word of the Lord. And so when we kind of wrap our minds around a New Testament doctrine, if you would, or theology around prayer and fasting, we can see right here that Jesus desires fasting and prayer from his people. Remember, Christ said himself, when the bridegroom is taken away, they will mourn, they will fast. And so I believe that this is a license. I look at it as we have a full disclosure, if you would, to go into this thing wholeheartedly. Um, Having our response, although maybe it has to do. Maybe we will go into the season of fasting. Maybe for some of us, we need to repent. Maybe there's some things that you need to get low before God and ask for forgiveness. Maybe not. But the overall summary, if you would, of what I believe Christ was touching upon is that our response would be that of prayer and fasting, seeking the Lord, setting our face to hear from him, setting our face to get guidance. And if there is some of us that maybe we have to have a a time of repentance, well, just wrap that around the time of your fasting. Listen, I've had some of the most dramatic, epic seasons of repentance while I'm fasting. Matter of fact, there's been nothing that kind of pushed to the surface, like the real intentions of my heart than when I fast. I don't know what it is. God just seems to expose uh, in his kindness and in his love, uh, um, like really the true um, uh, uh, governor, if you would, of my heart. He he reveals attitudes, offenses, you know, uh, and it always seems to be heightened in times of fasting. I don't know what it is. God uses it. I'm grateful for it. You know, when we see, it's not, it's not necessarily like unscriptural either, either, excuse me, because we see that when men and women in the Bible needed to repent, usually there was fasting that went on. There was prayer that went on. There was something where they emptied themselves of something and they started to fill themselves with something else. That's really what I think fasting does 
spiritually. Yes, even with food. I feel like it empties us of this world. It kind of empties us of, of, of ourselves in a way where we're able to see who and what we really are. And we begin to repent and then be filled by the presence of God, who we really are and what we really are made for. And so I, I, I feel as though fasting opens the door to much of this. And that's my heart really, more than anything, you know, I feel like the greatest re- reward that we could get out of this fast is more passion for Christ. I feel like if there's anything that we could really uh, lay hold of is that not just five or ten of us going hard or burning for the Lord, but that all of us would be more in love, more devoted to Christ than ever before. That's ultimately my goal. Is that I would come out of this season burning for the Lord. That I would come out of this season even more passionate and devoted to Christ. That's my heart. And I pray that that would be all of our hearts as we go into this time of fasting. Now I know some of us are kind of confused over, well, you know, what what are we fasting? Listen, we're going to make this fast personal. We're not going to say, okay, you're not going to fast this, this, and that. That's ridiculous. Nobody wants to do that. I don't want to do that. You know, for some of us, the Lord may lead you to fast a meal a day. For some of you, maybe it's entertainment. Maybe it's uh, um, programs. Maybe it's Facebook. The Lord will just say, hey, listen, unplug yourself for 40 days. Shut it down. Shut it off. I mean, Facebook isn't that cool anyways. We waste most of our life there. And really, at the end of the day, we probably scratch our, our heads and say, really? Really? This is what our day went to Facebook? But anyways, maybe the Lord is calling you to kind of just unplug television, unplug your computer. Maybe for some of us, uh, you know, you might do three meals a day. <gasps> three meals a day. Listen, I fasted 40 days, not to boast, on water. It can be done. It can be done. I'm not encouraging you to do it. But don't get frantic in what the Lord might call you to do. Don't look at it like, oh, this is too drastic, Lord. Do it with wisdom. Do juices. Do waters. Yes. But whatever the Lord calls you to do, do it. Maybe for some of you, it's social events. I can't believe you can, you can kind of, you can summons about a hundred people to a social gathering, but you can't even get five people to a prayer meeting. Maybe it's social gatherings. Maybe the Lord's just saying, listen, dial down with some of your friends. Dial it down. Get into my presence. No, you don't need to go there. No, you don't need to do that today. Come and be with me. Maybe that's what it is. We're not going to get specific in what we're going to fast. We're going to ask the Lord personally. That's the, you know, that, the Lord knows. He knows exactly what he would want you to give up for these 40 days. I mean, I've never gone to the Lord and said, Lord, what do you want me to fast? And they never respond. I mean, there's always something, you know, it's very clear. And usually it's the thing that you give most of your time, attention, and money that your life is absorbed with. It's usually those, those places. So I want to encourage us to do it individually. We're not going to be putting specific like you're going to fast this this day or do that this day. Now, you can look into the Bible. Listen, Daniel was a fasted man. You can look into some of the things and some of the ways that he fasted. Esther.
Esther. Okay, there's the Esther fast. You can look at, look, crack open your Bible. You will see the way that they, they fasted. Maybe that might be something that the Lord calls you to do. Maybe it's an Esther fast for three days. Amen? I want there to be grace for this fast. There's nothing like fasting when there's no grace too fast. But I want there to be grace for this fast. And the only way that I really know how to achieve, if you would, for lack of better words, grace, is just to fully submerse myself in it. That might be too simple for you. You know, what what do I mean by that? I mean, simply, we're just going to do it. I don't, I mean, listen, there's been no other way that I have, because I'm not like, you know, the fasting type, you know, there's been no other way that I've ever really even wanted to fast without just a yes in my heart. Yes, Lord, I want to do it. Yes, Lord. And sometimes it can be so simple. It can be the simple things that actually release the grace into our life to be committed. Not sneaking off to McDonald's here and there when your friends aren't looking, sneaking a happy meal, but to actually give yourself wholeheartedly to something for a season. Amen? Is everybody all right? Bow your head, close your eyes, Jesus. Father, we thank you uh, for this season. Lord, we thank you for all our friends here this evening. We thank you for those who are not here, God. We have just a couple more weeks, Lord, before we embark on this journey, before we engage in this fast. Lord, I ask that right now you would begin to prepare our hearts. Um, Lord, that you would begin to prepare our minds. Lord, that you would begin to our stomachs. Listen, just a word of wisdom. If you are gorging now, probably not the best thing to do if you're going to really engage in this fast. I mean, you know, I've had those seasons where I'm just like trying to get it all in, shoveling it, shoveling it, you know, it's, it's, it's tomorrow. I gotta have a steak. And you just are not prepared in your gut for the next day to just go with cold turkey. It's just not going to happen. Father, I pray that you would prepare our stomachs, our minds, our emotions, our spirits, Lord, to engage in this fast. Lord, we ask for a, a, um, uh, 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 a great release of grace upon our community, Lord, to, to go into this thing, Lord, not half-heartedly, Lord, but uh, fully, Lord, engaged, Lord, fully uh, a part, God, of what you're doing and what you want to do, Father. And so, God, I ask, Lord, in these days to come, Lord, that you would begin to speak to our hearts, um, that of which, Lord, you're calling us to fast and maybe put down for a season. God, I ask, Lord, that we would begin to start to hear your voice now and that we would hear, Lord, that which you would have us sacrifice, that which you would have us lay down. And Lord, we pray that that little prayer room would be filled, Lord, with all all of the members of the church and the prayer community. God, we ask, Lord, that we just wouldn't go without food, go without entertainment, but God, we would fill those times of fasting, these times of fasting with prayer, with setting our face to seek your face. In Jesus' name, amen.